From Advisory Board, we are bringing you a radio advisory. My name is Rachel Woods. You can call me Ray. Healthcare isn't exactly known for having a robust digital experience, but we know that having a solid digital experience is a must-have capability for healthcare organizations, especially as the landscape gets more and more competitive. So today I've invited digital health experts Jordan Ankers and Ty Adderhold to tell us what we should actually be aiming for when it comes to the digital consumer experience. Plus, at the end of this episode, I've reserved a little bit of time to give you an update on what the results of the midterm elections mean for healthcare. Make sure you stay to the very end to get that update. But for now, let's go to Ty and Jordan to talk about digital consumer experience. Hey, Ty. Hey, Jordan. Welcome to Radio Advisory. Hey, Ray. Thanks for having us. Hi, Ray. Excited to be here. Yeah, first time, Jordan. Our, no pressure. Ty has been on this podcast too many times at this point. Too so I'm, <laughs> I am excited to have your voice added to our repertoire. Me too. Ty has given me some advice, so I feel ready. We're going to be talking about the digital consumer experience, and I'm just going to caveat from the start that I think a lot of people have some perceptions about what a digital experience means, even what a consumer experience should look like in healthcare. So I want to kind of set the stage. What do we mean when we're talking about a digital consumer experience, and how do we know what makes for a good one in healthcare? People often kind of think about a digital experience in healthcare as following the consumer experience. So something that happens before the patient visit, during the patient visit, and after the patient visit. But when we talk to organizations, what we found is that it's really hard to think about what can make that good and what are kind of the goalposts that you're trying to achieve in each of those areas. So instead, we looked at how other industries have built really good digital experiences. And we narrowed it down to five components that we think make for really strong digital experiences. Mm. The five that we kind of narrowed it down to were functionality, customer service, self-service, personalization, and an omni-channel experience. This is interesting to me because, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm not sure that thinking about the digital consumer experience in that patient journey was necessarily wrong. I'm just not sure it was also the most helpful thing, especially when that journey can look different depending on if you are the patient yourself or if you are, I don't know, the parent or the caregiver or if you are a helper, right? It just looks different every time. So maybe thinking about these components is is just a more helpful way of deciding what our bar should actually look like. Right. I think that's right. What you're touching on is that oftentimes, especially now, these are not linear experiences either. Ah, yes. And that you could be pitching up the digital aspect of your experience right in the middle of your journey, or you go back and forth between digital and not. That view of the patient journey and following the experience through that journey just doesn't work as well as we think about how people consume healthcare today. The other sort of caveat I want to bring in here about how we think about digital experience is it's so easy to think about how we consume any digital 
media or experience ourselves and apply that to healthcare and also assume that others are going to consume it the same way we do. And I think that's what we see a lot when it comes to the healthcare digital experience as well. You know, I am someone who wants to go use an app to figure out what I want or where I want to get care. And so maybe I assume others want to do that as well. And that's just not the case. So let's talk about your five areas of focus. And I'm going to repeat them. They're functionality, customer service, self-service, personalization, and omni-channel. Now, some of those seem obvious to me. I I would hope that anything digital is functional. (laughs) Maybe you're going to tell me that there's a higher bar for what functional actually means in healthcare. But, But some of these... I got to tell you, I'm worried about us being able to actually hit it. I'm thinking about omni-channel specifically. This is not something that healthcare is necessarily known for. Why is this the right level that we should be aiming for as an industry that, frankly, is really freaking behind when it comes to anything digital? I agree completely with you that healthcare is not known for having great digital experiences, But at the same time, a good digital experience is a good experience regardless of what industry you're interacting with. And healthcare doesn't get a pass for being healthcare because the patients and the members that are interacting with your healthcare organization are bringing all of the knowledge and experiences that they get from interacting with banking and retail and streaming service and all of those other examples that you hear all the time. I completely agree. The bar is set by everything that is not healthcare, not by healthcare experiences themselves. Yes. And maybe that's why you decided to look outside of of our own industry. Exactly. And then I think for each of the, the five components that we identified, we do have examples of healthcare organizations who have been able to do it successfully. So it shows that it's not impossible for healthcare to achieve that better digital experience. The only thing I'll add here is you don't have to have all five for a good digital experience to exist. Hmm. Even if you have one or two, that is likely a better digital experience than a lot of patients and members are getting today, which is not to say, you know, don't put in effort here, but it is to say that you don't have to achieve at all five to provide the experience that patients and members would appreciate. I'm also guessing that there's some level setting to do within these areas of focus, right? I'm sure that you are going to tell me that some of your external examples come from the big heavy hitters in retail, the Amazons of the world, the... JP Morgan Chase is a great example. JP Morgan Chase, right? Things Again, things that we use in our in our everyday lives. But I'm also guessing there's a paired back version of that that is still net better for healthcare. So let's get some examples of these. Start with my one that I have a question on, which is functional. What is a functional digital consumer experience? So on a base level, I think a functional consumer experience is one that works. And that can come across (laughs) as, you know, of course everything works, but that's honestly, no, not everything works. And I think in particular, when you think about functionality, what we're talking about here is not just an app that doesn't freeze or a website that loads. What we're talking about here is an app or a website that lets the user do what they're hoping to do. Hmm. So if you, you can have an app that works that you can click around in, but if it doesn't let 
the user accomplish sort of what they're setting out to do within that app or what you're telling them they could technically do within that app, it's not actually functional. So that's where I think the difference comes in and where there are organizations that have apps that technically function, but maybe aren't functional from a consumer experience perspective. Yeah, and our team ran kind of an informal survey with our coworkers and friends and family about good healthcare experiences. And the One Medical app was a really good example that came up a lot of a good digital experience that actually worked. People could actually schedule their visits when it said schedule here and they could actually pay their bill through the app or they could find the information they were looking for. The schedule one is a big one for me because oftentimes either in an app or on a website, there is an option that says schedule an appointment, but it's not actually scheduling an appointment. It's send an email. Here's a phone call. Schedule this and then somebody will call you and tell you that time actually never worked in the in the first place. And so now I understand what you mean, Ty, by actually functioning in the way that it is intended to. So scheduling an appointment means actually scheduling the appointment that you're going to have at the end of the day. Even though it sounds very basic to have an experience that works, this is the first building block to creating an experience and building that patient trust in the rest of your digital experience. And we know that that trust can be broken, which is maybe why customer service is something that's important. So the reason that we included customer service as one of the components in the second component is because I think when a lot of people hear digital, they get worried that they're going to lose that human touch and that human Mm. relationship. The word to emphasize in customer service is service and that you can have that customer service experience even if it is digital. And it's really important to have it to help support your end user throughout their experience. This is the biggest pushback that I hear from physicians themselves when they're really guarded against the industry becoming more digitized. Even when we talk about some of the disruptive innovators that Ty has talked about on the podcast before, Amazon being right the big one, they say, but they don't have that patient touch that we do. I think that's right. Healthcare organizations need to find a way, though, to bring some of that customer service and patient touch into digital spaces as well. We shouldn't exist in a world where the only way to have some of that touch is through an analog channel as opposed to a digital channel. Building upon that, and actually the next thing that I think we're going to talk about here is self-service. It's very different self-service and customer service. You can have a live person on the other end of a digital platform that you're talking with, with customer service. And I think that is an important distinction. We're not just talking about self-service, a patient doing everything themselves on their own when we talk about a digital experience. So what's the right balance? Because I don't think we necessarily need to just keep throwing more humans at it or having digital be this weird middleman between eventually getting to a person anyways. What's the right balance between self-service and having that human touch? I think there are two ways to think about this. One, there are certain activities, and this could depend on your organization, that you never want a patient to self-serve on. Hmm. Like what? An example would be a patient trying to schedule a specialty visit before they have gone to a PCP consult. 
that is not something that we want patients going out and self-serving on. Right. You're not going to schedule a neurologist visit for headaches. Right. On your own. Exactly. So that's a place where we should never have patients self-serving. So that's one way to sort of cut down on on where we think about self-service. The other way to think about it is that we are, I think I would say, never going to reach a place where every patient or member is going to self-serve on anything. There are always going to be people who want an analog, you know, talk to someone or chat to someone option, whether that's be because they just prefer that, you know, they want to get the confirmation or have the conversation with someone, or because they may not have the necessary tools, the necessary digital literacy to do the self-service route. So we can't completely over-index on self-service and leave people behind who either don't want to have that type of interaction or can't have that interaction. This is the moment where every single listener is going to be nodding their heads and thinking, yeah, all the old people want to interact with a person. Is that the right way to be thinking about this? I mean, frankly, yes and no, right? I think there (laughs) is something to be said for like, there are a lot of people out there who just want to pick up the phone, call and talk to someone and they feel much more secure in that type of interaction. Another thing to layer in here is trust. People can trust that interaction in a way they may not trust a digital interaction. But I want to expand this beyond just, okay, this is old people and eventually everyone will age out of this behavior and everyone will just want to self-serve. That's very much not the case. I think people of all walks of life may have some trust issues, especially with things related to their healthcare data and how they interact with healthcare organizations. And that's something that we need to be aware of and can change or perhaps influence when we should be self-serving or encouraging self-service or not. And maybe the fact that it depends so much is one of the reasons why personalization is in your top five. I'm even thinking about experiences in which I want to and should be self-serving as a consumer myself and moments in which I should not. And it is possible and perhaps recommended that my organization be able to even personalize that so that I can self-schedule my PCP appointment, but not the neurologist appointment that I that I necessarily want. That is a challenge that we heard a lot from provider organizations and that you shouldn't assume that some patients won't want to self-serve or that some patients will know how to self-serve because what we've seen is that even though people use self-service in every other aspect of their life, like you can deposit a check online, they're not used to it in healthcare. So Mm. some people just don't know that it's an option and so they don't even try it out or they don't look for it. Or on the other hand, they see that it's an option and then it goes back to that trust where they forego that option because they don't believe that it will will truly work. Jordan, that is such an important point about the complexity of this problem. We already said that the bar is being set by every non-healthcare digital experience that you have. But because the bar is so low within our own industry, even when some of these options exist, patients and consumers don't know that they have access to them. And so teaching somebody that there is an option for self-service or you can have a personalized experience or there are multiple channels for you to use is an investment that organizations are going to need to make. And I think that's where the customer service comes in, helping your patients know when and how to use your solution. Oh, so they're all connected. Right, they're all connected. (laughs) 
We'll be right back with more radio advisory after this short break. As we emerge from the global pandemic, healthcare is restructuring. Some organizations are grappling with threats to their viability. Others are finding opportunity in chaos. And market forces are building momentum to fundamentally change the industry as we know it. But with so much in flux, what really matters? What decisions should you be making? And what do you need to know to make them? Explore the state of the healthcare industry and its outlook for next year by visiting advisory.com forward slash healthcare 2023 or by following the link in our show notes. I want to come back to personalization again for a moment because I think this is one where people intuitively know that's where the industry should be going. Everyone points to something like Netflix that's giving you recommendations on the type of show or movie you should watch or Amazon even giving you know a recommendation of, hey, it's been a while since you've ordered those Tide Pods. You probably are running low. It's time to re-up your, your subscription there or even to choose a subscription as an option. What else is really important for us to know when it comes to personalization in the digital experience? Well, this is definitely getting into the trickier territory of how to make this work well in healthcare. But something we heard in a research interview the other day that I thought was really interesting is that this is where digital has the upper hand over an in-person experience for sure. So you can really personalize a digital experience in a way that you can't with an in-person experience. Or you can personalize a healthcare experience in a way that you cannot personalize a home shopping experience or movie watching experience. Right. Yes, exactly. I think the one thing with personalization I want to point out is that healthcare organizations need to be careful here because this can very quickly veer into creepiness particularly when we're talking about healthcare and individuals' healthcare. I'm just thinking of a scenario where, let's say, there's a health plan and employer working together on you know, a member's healthcare needs, and they've decided to go the personalization route. They anticipate the needs of an individual and can send them an email about a potential pregnancy before that individual has like communicated this to the employer. And that is a place that I think most people would be pretty creeped out by. I guarantee you these organizations have enough data to do that. And so they have to make the decision of, well, how personalized are we going to get before it becomes, wow, they know way too much about me. This is getting weird. I think it's like personalization inception because you have to personalize how much personalization you have in that patient's digital experience. And some people are okay with a lot. And like Ty said, some people are creeped out by it. And again, that's why that's why there's a spectrum of things that matters here. Let's talk about your last feature, which I'm going to admit, this one's a tricky one for me. It's omni-channel. I have no doubt that my healthcare experience would be better if I had more options to actually access the healthcare ecosystem. But... I don't want an app for everything. Maybe that's the right answer. I don't know. Ty, you're going to tell me, should every single healthcare system, should every medical group, should every health insurance platform have an app? 
what is the right amount of omni-channel experience that is going to be better? Ray, don't worry. We're not telling everyone to have an app. So don't go build an app for your healthcare organization just because we're talking about omni-channel. I think the biggest thing here is you just need a way to pick up and transfer information from across platforms. So from desktop to analog, from a website to an app, if you have an app, and have that information that the patient has already given you in one medium transport over to the other medium. And across all sites. Five elements is a lot. Is anyone actually doing all of this? Do we even have an example of someone who has a functional digital experience that has the right amount of customer service that allows for appropriate use cases of self-service in a personalized matter across multiple channels? I don't think there's one organization that's doing all five of these really well. And I, I think that kind of shows how hard this is, but there are organizations who are doing one or a few of these really well, which shows that it is possible for healthcare to make progress. So what advice do you have for leaders who are trying to move the dial on some or all of these? Where should an organization begin? Especially when, let's be honest, some some might be really behind. Some might be hearing this conversation and thinking, I don't even have a unified EMR. How can I do this omni-channel piece and then personalize the experience across multiple channels if I don't even have a unified platform yet? I'll echo something Jordan said earlier that I think is really important, which is functionality is the building block of, of all of these. Don't start with omni-channel. Definitely don't start with omni-channel if you don't have the functionality figured out first. So that'd be where I would start, particularly, as I mentioned earlier, on making it actually usable and letting the patient remember accomplish what they're hoping to do in the platform. And then I would just add on that being the laggard of the laggards, there is some positive to that. And that's you can look at what others are doing and you can use their examples to learn from maybe their mistakes and then hopefully leapfrog and and kind of jump over to, to a better digital experience. It strikes me that there might be one benefit to being an industry that has thus far been pretty behind when it comes to digital adoption. And that's that we can avoid mistakes that others have made. What ripple effects do we want healthcare leaders to avoid that we frankly learned and can get ahead of because we're really just getting started now? Ray, I think healthcare needs to avoid making assumptions about who will use these digital solutions. It's very easy to picture in your mind the type of person that you might think you're designing a digital experience for. They're probably relatively young, relatively affluent, but that's not how we should approach the design Mm -hmm. process. We need to be designing for who patients are and who members are, not who we think are digitally enabled consumers out there. One thing that I would add to that, we heard this a couple days ago, and now I'm going to steal it because I really like it. But an organization we talked to, their motto was don't just assume that there will be people out there who cannot use your digital solution or learn how to use your digital solution. Instead, go into everything with the goal that you are going to design solutions and experiences that people can access and they can use. 
Hmm. I love that so much because it speaks to not just this young old problem. I would love to dispel the myth that only millennials want digital products in healthcare as a proud millennial. Mm -hmm. But what you're speaking to, Jordan, is, is a bigger challenge. And that's that we tend to design these products for technologically enabled people or people who already have access to these tools. And Ty, you've been on this podcast making the very clear case that that is not necessarily true. And my biggest fear is as the healthcare industry adopts more and more digital solutions is that we actually make inequities worse and not better. So how do we factor in digital inequities when we're thinking about the best digital consumer experience? I think there's a couple things we need to do. First, we need to make in general, the experiences we offer on the digital side easier to use. So that's lowering the digital literacy barrier of the app, the website, the platform that exists. And at the same time, limiting the amount of available options or actions that the patient or user could take at any single moment. So instead of having 50 different places they could click or an action they could take, understand where they are at that point in time in their patient journey or their member journey and give them the actions that they're actually going to be taking at that point in time to make it a lot easier for them to use. The other point here is we need to be doing a much better job of designing for mobile users. Broadband access is oh, yeah. not a given and stable broadband access, certainly not a given. We need to do a better job of building tools, building experiences, that use limited amounts of data and work on mobile devices because that will widely open up who is able to use these platforms. And by the way, making something that is mobile first doesn't necessarily mean making an app. Yes, retweet. <laughs> Ray, the other thing I would be remiss to not mention is the trust angle. We need to be, as an industry, aware that People may not trust connecting with us digitally right now and actively going out and changing that. It's not just something of building a tool that is mobile first, that has a, a pretty low barrier to entry, and people will use it. You need to go actively show and get in front of them and say, this will make your life easier. We are protecting your data. This data isn't getting resold. But at the same time, you also need to make sure that's the case. You know, yeah. We've seen headlines of you know, scheduling tools that ended up sending uh, information off to sort of the Facebook or meta servers and, and advertising, you need to make sure that's the case. And then after you do that due diligence, then go out and communicate that to your patients and your members. Well, Jordan, Ty, when it comes to the digital consumer experience, what is the most important thing you want our listeners to take away? While there is a ton of interest and excitement about digital health, there's also this kind of prevailing belief and acceptance by some that healthcare is behind and they're never going to catch up and there's nothing to be done about it. But I think that we've seen enough organizations make progress that proves that that's not true. And then same thing with digital equity, healthcare organizations can make a difference and they can make progress. And all of that progress comes with some real financial returns for the healthcare organizations that invest in it. The last thing I'll say here, and this is a little bit of a curveball, I think, to bring up this late, <laughs> but it's super important, is that you have to work with your partners on this. You can't work on this in a silo. 
Because if we think about the patient experience from the patient perspective, they at times are going to have no idea who is responsible for the bad experience they just received. They don't know if it's the hospital, the physician, the payer, mm-hmm. their employer. They have no no visibility into that. And so if you're an organization, you have to not only work on your own digital experience, but make sure your partner's digital experience is also working for those patients and members and that they mesh together well. And so this is not something you can work on in silo. Well, Jordan, Chai, thanks for coming on Radio Advisory. Thanks, Chai. It's great to be here. Before we close this episode, I want to turn to an analysis of the midterm elections and share our insight on what happened, what matters, and what's coming next. It is Monday, November 14th, just after 9.30 a.m. And look, I know that you've already seen a lot of election analysis, but here's where things stand right now. Over the weekend, the Democrats secured their narrow majority in the Senate. And as of right now, it looks like the House is going to flip to GOP control. Now, that's not necessarily guaranteed, but here's what all of that means. Whether we end up with a split government or not, we are going to have even more narrow margins than what we've seen over the last two years, which means even more gridlock in Washington. That gridlock, is out of step with what voters want, which is action on healthcare. And they have a lot of opinions about our industry. They care about their coverage. They care about costs. They care about access to reproductive services. We saw voters in South Dakota pass a state ballot initiative expanding Medicaid. California, Vermont, and Michigan all passed initiatives to protect access to abortion. And Kentucky voters followed Kansas in rejecting an anti-abortion measure. Voters also care about things like marijuana legalization and healthcare as a human right. They care about interest rates and medical debt and more. And this is where healthcare showed up the most, at the state level. We're at this moment of rising federalism, which is going to make things more complicated for healthcare business. Obviously, organizations don't want to limit themselves to growth within the boundaries of a single state. So as states adopt different policy and political stances, or maybe even add different conditions to those policies, that makes the business of healthcare much more complicated for multi-state organizations and their partners. Notice what I haven't said yet. There's not likely going to be any sweeping federal healthcare policies like we've seen over the last couple of years. Now, that's not to say that there's not bipartisan support for things like behavioral health reform, but it's yet to be seen how that will translate into actual legislation. I want to be clear. The absence of new federal policies doesn't necessarily mean that this is going to be a slow two years for healthcare. In fact, the technical challenges to come are going to be enormously consequential. This means it is time for you to sweat the small stuff. Remember, there are existing federal laws that organizations still need to implement. I'm talking about things like the Inflation Reduction Act, which includes new laws around Medicare drug pricing. I'm talking about price transparency and the No Surprises Act. 
There are also changes the industry is eyeing very, very soon that are going to have serious ripple effects for health leaders. I'm thinking, of course, of the Medicaid cliff that will come when flexibility is put in place under the public health emergency end, plus the cascade of coverage transitions that organizations will need to plan for. By the way, that's not going to happen immediately, just like changes to telehealth reimbursement, state licensure, cost control initiatives, and provider support won't necessarily flip like a light switch. It's the ripple effects of these changes that are going to be felt very soon and for the months and years to come. So remember, as always, we're here to help. If you want to learn more about how leaders can address digital inequity, I want you to go back and listen to episode 87, titled Digital Inequities and Why You Shouldn't Call It the Digital Divide. Plus, we have whole playlists on our website dedicated to technology and disruption and health equity. If you like Radio Advisory, please share it with your networks. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave a rating and review. Radio Advisory is a production of Advisory Board. This episode was produced by me, Ray Woods, as well as Katie Anderson and Kristen Myers. The episode was edited by Dan Tyag, with technical support by Chris Phelps and Joe Schramm. Additional support was provided by Carson Sisk, Leanne Elston, Alice Lee, Nicole Addy, John League, Natalie Treves, Ashley Antonelli, Sharon Yuen, and Sarah Zargum. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Ty. Thanks, Jordan. <laughs> Thanks, Ray. <laughs> I didn't know if we were supposed to talk. <laughs> I'm just waiting for Jordan to answer first. <laughs> <laughs>